Bandwidth for this episode of Mac Power Users has been provided by Midas Green Technologies, virtual private servers submerged in oil. Check them out at MidasGreenTech.com. Mac Power Users, Episode 55, Workflows with Adam Lissagor. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. Along with me is Katie Floyd. Hello, Katie. Hey, David. How are you? Excellent. And we are the Mac Power Users. We're very pleased to be joining the 5x5 network. This is our first show on the new network. What do you think, Katie? I'm so happy to be over at 5x5. Many of my favorite podcasts are over here at 5x5 and just thrilled to be a member of this team with a bunch of great other podcasters. Yeah. So uh, the Mac Power Users is a podcast. We've been around a couple of years. Uh, our focus is one thing. So every episode, we try to cover just one element of using Apple technology in your life, and we try to cover it in depth, in, in fact, what we call painful detail. Uh, we've got a <laughs> Not huge, too painful. Eh, it's fun. Uh, so we've got a huge catalog. goes back two and a half years or so. Uh, go to our website. 54 shows, to be exact. Okay, 54 shows. You go to MacPowerUsers.com, or we're going to also have all these shows imported to the 5x5 feed. So you can go back and pick and choose if you want to pick up something. We cover subjects like... PDFs or managing email or, you know, whatever subject that we think is geeky enough to deserve our attention. The other kind of show that we like to do on the Mac Power Users is what we call workflow episodes, and this show is going to be a workflow episode. And because we know people get tired of listening to the sounds of our voices, we like to bring in uh, what we consider to be a super Mac geek in one form or another and talk through all the workflows they use to get important work done on their Macs. And, you know, we basically ask them two questions. What do you do with your Mac? And how do you do it? And this episode today is going to be with Lonely Sandwich, also known as Adam Melissa Gore, who is a, uh, a producer, uh, does a lot of great video stuff, uh, commercial work. And um, he's going to talk through all his workflows for getting work done on his Mac. But before so, uh, we're going to talk to the 5x5 Grand Poobah. That would be Dan Benjamin. So let's have Dan in for a few minutes. All right, Dan, well, first, I think we just have to say thank you so much for inviting Mac Power users to the great 5x5 network. We are thrilled to be here. Some of my favorite podcasts are on 5x5, and it is such an honor and a privilege uh, to be joining your network. Well, the privilege is ours. It's mine. And uh, now that you guys are going to be on 5x5, uh, I can say that pretty much all of my favorite podcasts are going to be on 5x5, too. So I'm glad that you guys, you know, when I approached you with this, and said, uh, you guys would be a great fit. Uh, I really meant it, and I really think that, uh, you know, wh- what you guys bring to the Mac community and to the, you know, getting things done community and the, the, the focus on the things that you guys talk about every week is, uh, you know, it's just, it's really, really valuable, and I think it really brings a lot to the community. So I'm, I'm hopefully joining up with us will help uh, more people find out about the show and, and make everything... Uh, that you do a little bit easier. You know, Dan, I have to admit, I've been a closet fan of yours for years. I've followed Hive Logic. <laughs> and um, when you announced on Hive Logic that day that you were starting 5x5, five five, and yeah. uh, you know, I had listened to the shows you did with John Gruber, and I just thought you had a great radio voice. And just the, just the, your online, the way you handle yourself is so good. I, just, I knew it was going to be something special. But you know, here we are a year and a half later, and it is amazing what you have done. I mean, it's just, Thank you. Well, thanks. I, I just... You know, it's changed the way I listen to podcasts because just the 5x5 network has become my go-to place. So 
I was thrilled when you invited us to join, and uh, we're very happy to be here. So thanks so much. No problem. Glad to have you guys. So, Dan, how is this going to work? Um, you know, uh, Mac Power Users has been around for a couple of years. We've got, this is our 55th show, so we've got a back catalog of 54 shows going back. Um, how, how does this work integrating with the, with the 5x5 Empire? Well, yeah, so for people who are listening to this on 5x5, this maybe being the first show that you guys have released on 5x5, you know, hopefully behind the scenes things won't change. People who uh, are just listening to this and they're subscribed in iTunes or whatever podcatcher they like, they're still going to hear you guys. They won't have to change anything on their end, on the subscription end. Uh, They'll just continue to get new shows in their RSS feed, just the way that they have through their iTunes subscription, whatever it was, that that should just stay the same. Uh, So hopefully... There's no problems there. For people who are coming and just finding out about the show, maybe this is the first time that they're listening. When you guys subscribe, you'll just subscribe the way that you always do in iTunes or on the uh, on the, the page, which would be 5x5.tv slash MPU. Easy enough, I think. And uh, as far as your back catalog, you mentioned 55 shows. We're going to be importing all of those shows. Now, some of it is manual cut and paste stuff, but uh, you know, trying to be effective. Uh, I have a Ruby script that I've used to import a couple other shows, and it typically goes pretty well, but there's a little bit of babysitting. Uh, so soon enough, I don't want to promise a day because we've all got kind of crazy things going on, but soon enough, there will be uh, all of your back catalog will be imported as well, and it'll, it'll be there and available for everybody who wants to just get everything from one place. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully right away, hopefully immediately. Yeah, we'll try. We'll do what okay. we can do. Well, it's uh, once again a thrill to be on the sh- uh, on the network, and uh, glad to have you on the show again, Dan. And uh, and people should check out uh, episode twenty six. We did a workflow with you. Um, that's right. Back in, um, gosh, when did we do that? We did that a couple, May of, three, May of twenty ten, I think. I was going to say it felt like about five years ago. I don't think that. it was quite that long. <laughs> it felt. Like, it You've did, done a lot since then, though. It's and you know what? A lot has changed. So maybe you know, and if people aren't too bored. Uh, from hearing me on all the other shows, at some point, we could uh, I could update you guys. Uh, yeah, I think we might have to revisit that too. Well, I think have. now that you're running a big network, I think we almost have to revisit that. We might hear what you're up to. Yeah, do it. Okay, well, let's do that. And once again, thanks, Dan, for inviting us on. We're happy to be here, and I can't wait to see what comes out of the future of this relationship. Well, me too. Thanks again, guys, for considering it. Uh, I, you know, you guys are doing so many great things. It just it's our privilege to have you here and. Hopefully a lot of new people find out about you. Thanks, Dan. Well, we look forward to getting to know all of you through the 5x5 network. We hope that you'll check out our back catalog. And thank you to our longtime listeners for joining us over here at 5x5. Take a look at all the other great shows that 5x5 has to offer. I think you'll find uh, there's a wealth of excellent content over on this network, and we are just honored to join them. Uh, So, David, without further ado, let's talk to Adam. Well, Katie, I'm really excited. Uh, this week we've got with us Adam Lissigor, also known as Lonely Sandwich, uh, internet rock star. And uh, I guess, Adam, what, how do you describe yourself these days? Actually more of an internet jazz musician. Oh, I love that. Oh, if boy. you're okay with that. Oh, I love right. it. I love it. Can, or, I, can I borrow that? Can I co-opt it? Internet jazz bow. Okay. That's fine. I will be That's taking fine. the role of Thelonious Monk. You can have anybody else. Will there, will there be music on this podcast later, guys? Should I just check out now? No. I think, like, sort of what we're saying is sort of vocal vocal jazz. We're just not really giving music to it necessarily, but we're speaking 
You know, words are music, Katie. I don't know if you know this. I'm mostly, yeah, I'm, I'm going to speak in scat mostly. Oh, that would be awesome. I think everybody would have to pay extra for that, though. Right. Yeah. Well, Adam, you're, uh, you know, you, you first came on the scene in my world when you did this amazing video about the iPhone copy and paste. Remember when we didn't have copy and paste? And uh, mm-hmm. you made that really cool video that... that this sh- is how it should work. Yeah, showed the billion-dollar company how it's supposed to be done. <laughs> Which took that was really fun. Um, that was the first kind of thing I did on the internet, and it sort of turned out to be the, one of the most popular things I've done on the internet to date. But um, that came about because if you read Jason Kotke's blog, Kotke, Kotke.org, he had, when the iPhone originally came out, he had posed the question to his readers, you know, we're all small, smart people. How would you solve this problem? Yeah. You know, with this limited amount of UI interaction um, in just your fingers, how would you solve the problem of copy and paste? And so a bunch of a bunch of the readers wrote in in the comments, and I was one of them, and I had this idea. And I just spent a weekend basically taking all of the, you know, reproducing all the UI elements in a compositing software and doing motion tracking and the whole thing. And at that point, I feel like I've told this story before, but at at that point, um, there was no simulator. um, There was no screen grab for um, the iPhone, and there was no SDK for developers to do simulator um, UI stuff. So really, what I I just took the QuickTime off of the website, and um, you know, motion tracked a lot of the UI elements in in Shake. And then just reproduced them graphically, and then uh, mocked up the whole thing that way, and it was, and it was a huge hit. I don't think I'll ever do anything as fun as that. <laughs> One of the things Somewhat I like disappointment the, at the very beginning, you've got the the iPhone guy. I don't remember what's his name. Bob, yeah, Bob Borchers. Bo- yeah, um, who's demoing it, and and you've like superimposed someone else's lips, I guess, on him. Yeah, those are my lips. Those are your lips. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh yeah it's it's definitely a low tech a lo-fi solution to uh to doing the on on-screen persona but yeah it was fun so so were you happy with the uh ultimate copy and paste solution after after you showed them how it was done oh yeah completely it's really intuitive i think they did it exactly the right way you think okay. have you ever heard from anybody at apple after you put that out that yeah i've spoken spoken to a couple of people um uh, spoken to a couple of people and that you know were involved in some way in making those videos, and you know I know for I know for a fact that Bob Borchers has seen has seen that, and they all I think they all got a little giggle out of it. Good. <laughs> well, you did that, then you've got this blog, alonelysandwich dot com, right? Yeah. And then and then you uh, you were working. Well, just tell us because you were working in Hollywood in uh, was it a special effects production? Correct. Yeah, I went to school in New York for film, and i I came out came back out to L.A. where I'm from, and just by accident, the first job I got was on a feature as a visual effects assistant, which is the guy who runs around taking notes on everything. So, um, you know, lens information, camera height and position, and diagramming the scenes and everything. I didn't know anything about visual effects at the time, but it was really fun to work closely with the the guy who's basically the person the 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 man or woman who's in charge of 
overseeing the visual effects on a movie or TV show or commercial that's there on set while they're shooting and make sure everything is photographed correctly to make it easier on the people who do the work in the computers later on. Okay. That person is called the visual effects supervisor. Um, they're sort of like a director of the effects. And so I worked directly under that person. And, um, uh, you know, I just learned a lot about the process. And uh, I learned about dealing with the different aspects of production and working closely with the camera crew. And most, um, mo most influentially, I think, I just got to be around people who are really good at what they do um, and doing it in professional capacity. And the way that uh, movie making works, um, if it's done right, is that it's such an expensive enterprise. You know, it can be anywhere from a hundred grand per day of production, and far, far more expensive than that. That there is no margin for error, really. So everybody has to be really, really good and responsive um, at their job. So I got to see that, and that was just kind of a huge motivator for me to continue to do work in in that industry. And um, so what I was doing was uh, being a part of recording all the information that goes into making visual effects happen. And then after that movie was wrapped up, was finished shooting, I got recruited basically by one of the companies that um, – the visual effects shops that was doing work on the film. And I went to go work for them and see what it was like on, in the, on the facility side. Yeah, on the things. back end. Kind of. Yeah, and um, – it was it was enlightening to see the a little bit of a disparity between how production people think visual effects are made and then how they actually are made. Um, it turns out a lot of those notes just get thrown away because the computers are smart enough to to know a lot of that stuff okay. to track it, um, which is fun. But it, you know, again, it was. I'm going to say that that experience was more of a film school for me than film school was. And and what what time period if if you don't mind, was the sun? Was this like early two thousand? Yep, yeah. This was two thousand two or three, two thousand two, okay. I believe. So, so what kind of equipment were you working on when you were in the shops? Um, okay, so the company that I went to work for was a Flame and Inferno shop, and that mm -hmm. is, um, um, I forget who makes that software. It's like, I think it's Autodesk now, or at the time SGI. And they were running on these giant, you know, military-grade computers. Um, and just in the time that I've been working in, in the industry, in the visual effects industry, this, the technology has changed so mind-blowingly fast. Back when I started, what you'd have was uh, a highly paid artist, you know, $100 an hour up to, you know, $150 an hour artist who would go and, and set up the shots and do the do the heavy compositing lifting, for instance, and then they would kick off a render, and the render had to be done there locally on the computer, and it would just crank for hours. And then the, a junior compositor would come in and sort of babysit the render overnight. So there was a lot of there were just a lot of late nights waiting for waiting for shots to render, so that I could then, as the coordinator, turn them over to the um, editorial department of the movie. Okay. Um, and so there's just like a lot of waiting and then a lot of going back. It, the, the process at that point was not very interactive. And now our machines have become so powerful and the software so efficient that, and, and also the rendering farm, the render farms, you know, have been built out so that you can just hand off a lot of that stuff 
to render farms and it's, it all just cranks a lot faster than it used to. Um, forgive me for not knowing a lot about what's under the hood, but it was, it was eye opening to see, you know, my first experience of knowing that there was something called visual effects was seeing dinosaurs in, in Jurassic park. Mm -hmm. I think that was kind of eye opening for a lot of us when we realized that, you know, things could be created out of nothing. I mean, that, that had always been around since early days of cinema, but um, I didn't really know that it was an aspect of filmmaking that I would be a part of. Um, Sorry, go ahead. You had said something to me uh, when we were talking earlier on the phone that I thought was really um, interesting. You had said one of the reasons you went to New York was because of our prior guest, David Wayne. Oh, yes. Well, I, I listened to to his episode of your show, and it was, and I and I think I told you guys, um, probably the most inspiring episode of a tech podcast for sure that I that I'd ever heard. Just because the man is is really smart, um, obviously fantastically talented uh, filmmaker, but the fact that he talked about the tools that he uses is just like from for someone like me, where tools are just a large part of the process. Oh, it was just like solid bliss for how for an hour and a half. Um and you know aside from that, I'm I'm I've always been a giant fan of David Wayne and and his collective of of people of you know, filmmakers and performers. Um when I was in high school and the state was on, I was a giant fan and they and and I found out that they had gone to NYU and that's sort of what spurred me on to to want to go to NYU and that's and eventually I did. Um, and a funny note about this is before there was anything like Twitter or social networks or anything, there was AOL and on AOL at the time. And this was, if I was 16, it would have been, um, 94, uh, 94, 95 AOL had a sort of message forum section of its, of its site called the exchange. Um, and for whatever reason, it was really weird. There was a there was a community built around the state, and f- for whatever reason, David Wayne and Michael Show, uh, Michael Ian Black, and I think maybe Michael Showalter were frequent, you know, visitors to that forum. And so here I am, sixteen, in in my my podunk suburb, and like getting to chat with these guys who are, you know, heroes, and um. That you know, that was amazing, amazing amount of access, and uh, for especially for the time, you know, on Twitter now you can just sort of at you can mention anybody, and they'll there's a chance that they'll respond to you. At the time, though, it, it felt like a whole brave new world. Of te- uh, oh yeah, I had a technology. friend who uh, corresponded with Mike Showalter. Same thing, uh-huh. and it, you yeah. know, the, the, those guys were so accessible back then, and. I said it when we recorded the show. I was a huge fan. A little older than yeah. you, but I, I still was, I guess, in the right age bracket to get hooked on that. Well, they're so nice. Uh, they're, they're really nice and generous people. Um, and they've got that interesting mix of, uh, you know, huge amounts, huge amounts of talent. They're obviously doing something innovative that nobody else is doing, but they're, at the same time, there's this, I don't know, accessibility to them. where You, you almost feel that they've, they're, they're going through the same... The same thing. They're they're, they're human, you know. Yeah. Right. Even though they're amazing, amazingly talented people. Um, anyway, and then you know at that at that point it was just the state. But d- the fact that David Wayne has developed into this amazing filmmaker, director, and is and is making these these movies 
in Wet Hot American Summer, I watch I watch at least twice a year. Role Models was great. Um, the Ten is one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, and uh, and it's fun to hear him talk about his tools and nerd out. And he's and what I also noticed when he was on your show, and now I'm gushing. When he was on your show, it wasn't about him. It well, it wasn't for him. It wasn't about being the David Wayne show and trying to be funny guy and, and upstage you. He was very, you know, just human and normal and and wanted to talk about tools. It was fun. Yeah, I mean, he has a lot of humility and he's just a really smart guy. Yeah. Now, now let's bring that back into the stuff you're doing. So you were doing the the um the special effects stuff. And then at some point you transitioned into your own business, uh, with yeah. video production. Yeah. It happened accidentally, but in the best way possible. Um, I, I got bored early on with doing visual effects coordinating, which is basically just clerical. Um, I was doing my, my, my software tool was final, um, FileMaker pro, which I had basically taught myself early on, right after college I had this job where I was sort of vault manager staff editor for a commercial production company um, and what I had at my disposal was a large library of three quarters inch videotapes of director's work and I was it was my job to like edit edit them into a, you know demo reels because this company would send out demo reel after demo reel and 20 30 of them per day to try to get jobs from the commercial ad agencies um, that was just like, um, a, a mind numbing, awful Sisyphean task. It sounds like, um, it sounds like a grind. Yeah. I mean, the person who had the job before me, who f- funny enough is now like a, a well-known director. Um, he basically had the system of handwriting the catalog on in a notebook. Um, and so then I took, I, I heard about something called FileMaker Pro and kind of taught myself the tools and learned about relational databases and everything. And at some point I got so into it, into building out this new system that I delivered like a pitch to the, to all the, the founders of the company and told them that I was going to build this huge thing by which, um, all of their sales reps could basically log into the system and then order up their, their demo reels, custom built and, you know, it turned out that I didn't really know as much about FileMaker Pro as I thought I did, and I sort of only built it in a very haphazard way. But it taught me just a lot about organizational um, aspects of 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 uh, a system like that. And it taught me how to think like think in in terms of a relational database, um, which is how I still do a lot of my work. Um, and and I think that the benefit of thinking in that way has a, you know, I can apply it to my compositing work, for instance, where you have to keep track of assets in your head. I don't know. This sounds, uh, it sounds like I'm making it up on the spot actually, but no, actually it makes a lot of sense. Okay. So if you, any type of software that you work with has those aspects of, um, you know, relating tables of data to one another, whether it's financial, um, financial data, I don't know what um, specific software you guys use in your profession, um, but I'm sure there are aspects of, you know, how you know you you have to direct the way that that certain sets of data are related to other certain sets of data. Um, anyway, so I took my FileMaker Pro knowledge, and then as soon as I started working as a visual effects coordinator, coordinator, 
I wanted to try to figure out how to make a system that made my job easier for shot shot tracking. And when yeah. you're doing when you're doing coordinating of shots, especially on a movie where there can be hundreds or thousands of them, you really need that. You you, you can't do it with a pen and a notebook. So same thing. I just took uh, I took my filemaker knowledge and I and I put it into the facility that I was working at, um, and just. You know that was uh, how I used how that was my software tool of choice, and then I got really bored of that quickly. Yeah, um, becomes and clerical I, and I started, almost at that point. Yeah, it was clerical, and I got and I would look around me at these artists that were doing really interesting work and getting paid a lot of money, and I decided I wanted to sort of learn how to do that. So um, there was a license of Shake in the facility, and it was it was being un, it was unused. And so I started using it to do my coordinating tasks, just put slate numbers on things like that. And eventually I just kind of taught myself by experimenting how to put a shot together. And soon enough, I started doing shots that would make their way into the, into the movies. And, uh, and then I, and then I was editing and then I didn't have to be coordinating anymore. And, and, and that's how, that's how I grew into knowing, uh, to the, to the, to do the post-production tasks that I know how to do now. Um, and you know, you know, just stop there for a minute. Cause that's really sure. interesting because so you were, you were in a position, you were, you were in the door, but yep. you weren't doing what you wanted to be doing. So you went and, you know, taught yourself. You just figured it out. Yeah. On the job training, which is important in any job. If, um, I mean, and that's why to take a job as an assistant somewhere, you know, because you, you hopefully there's a certain amount of freedom involved in it. There certainly was where I was working, but if you're in your early twenties, you know you can be okay with working reception for a while because just within feet of where you're sitting answering phones, there are people that are doing really interesting things, and that's the best way to to learn how to do it and just kind of look over their shoulder. Okay, and so you pulled that off, and so now you you've got to you're creating special effects shots. Yeah, um, on on a on a lower level, I'm not going to say that I was one of the you know senior artists in the in the place, but I was at least doing something more interesting and creative. Um, at the same time, I things interesting things were happening on the internet. I st- I became aware of podcasting. Became aware of a guy named Merlin Mann. I started listening to his shows and he was the first uh he, he was the first example of somebody that I'd heard speaking so eloquent uh, eloquently about technology um and the tools. Yeah. Uh and he was really funny and so I just became a super fan of Merlin Mann. Um It's hard not to, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. We're big fans of Merlin. He's pretty mag- he's a pretty magnetic personality. And um another he's like David Wayne too. He's really I mean, he's just really humble and and he really cares about people. I mean, he just yeah, he does. He's he's got a, just a ton of humanity in him. And by you know by that token, he was nice enough to friend me back, basically, and we just became mutual friends, and then or we mutual appreciators, and then we uh, started working on stuff together. And um, you know, and then my internet life kind of took off in a way that I was uninterested in the the filmmaking life and was sort of looking for a way to get out of it because there was so much momentum at the time in in the internet and in technology 
so much was happening so quickly and it seemed like the development pace of the film industry had started to slow. Um, we had that, that point in the nineties when independent cinema was taking off and when new filmmakers had access to new tools and I'm talking about d digital video that could actually make its way up onto the big screen. And it felt like a whole new world of, de you know, democratic filmmaking. The process had been democratized so that anybody could do it. But then that got stale a little bit. And it turned out that the film, the Hollywood part of the film industry kind of had experimented with capitalizing on that with their sort of mini, um, their mini indie studios and figured out that they, they weren't really going to make so much money on that. So they kind of canned the idea. And, you know, in the early to mid aughts, there was not much cool stuff happening in, in cinema. But, you know, from my point of view, so I got more excited about technology and I just started thinking about how I could make my way into that. And then I, and then I became just like, and then I became known on the internet. So it may, it was a natural um, transition. Well, it looks like you seem to have, have mixed the two quite well because you're still doing uh, film video, but m many of your clients from what I can see from your website are very internet based, very tech companies. For so it seems like you've, you've blended the two. Certainly. And that was unexpected. I did not intend to do that at all. Um, it just t sort of worked out that way because there weren't, there wasn't so much overlap. Um, it's not, it turned out to be kind of a niche thing where I was able to apply my, my passion for tech to my knowledge of, of filmmaking. Really when I quit my job in, in post-production, I thought that I was leaving filmmaking for good. And I thought that I'd given up hope of ever being, you know, a quote unquote director. I honestly didn't in, didn't even know what a director was, even though pretty much every person who goes into film school, they'll say they want to be a director. That's such an ambiguous thing, though, um, that you don't really know until you start doing it. And, uh, you know, thank God I've been, I, I fell into it, so I've been given the opportunity to, to, to learn what a director is by showing up on set and it says my name, on the call sheet and it says director. So I might as well be doing something. We want to take a quick break and introduce you to our first sponsor smile. Now smile is the maker of excellent productivity software for the Mac, including PDF pen, PDF pen pro disc label text expander. And there are also developers for iOS with text expander touch. The PDF pen allows you to easily edit documents, add images, text signatures, make corrections, fill out PDF forms, merge, delete anything you can think of with a PDF they can do it. Disc label allows you to create, print, and share CD labels, jewel cases, inserts, DVD covers for a truly professional look to your personalized products. And Text Expander is the Smile software application that I cannot live without. And it saves me hundreds, if not thousands, of keystrokes a day, allowing me to create customized abbreviations for my frequently used text snippets, including images. I can throw signatures in there. You name it. Text Expander has me covered. Yeah, I love Text Expander. Yeah. I love that uh, app. I mean, I, if I could marry it, I think I would. Oh, don't tell Daisy that. Hey, um, you know what would be really cool, though? If we could give them a discount. If we could get a discount for that stuff. 
I think we might be able to help them out because Smile is helping us celebrate our move over to 5x5 with a special offer for all Mac Power users listeners. And they're giving us a 20% discount to share with everyone here on Text Expander PDF Pen Disc Label that applies to single licenses and family packs. So you can use coupon code MPU811, and that's good until September 30th, 2011. No way. So check out all their software over at smilesoftware.com. You can download a free trial if you want to try it before you buy it. But even if you buy it and you find that you have buyer's remorse, but you won't, they have a free 90-day money-back guarantee, which is not to like. Yeah, Smile Software is a great Mac software developer, and they're on iOS, so go check them out. And thank them for uh, sponsoring the podcast. And so you kind of got out of the film business, and you were doing uh, You Look Nice Today, which was one of my favorite podcasts. I really hope you guys get that going again. I'm sure we will. And um, and Thank then you. you also got into this gig of making these. I, I don't know what you call prom- promotional advertisements or sure. commercials or sure. shorts. It's, or- it's hard to know what to, to call them. I started up calling them demo videos because that's what I called the one that I did for my own iPhone app that I co-developed with a friend and Birdhouse. Um, yeah, Birdhouse. Yeah. So that was just um, that I called that a demo video because the pur- the purpose was. The same as any demo video you've you'd seen before it, which was show how the product works. Um, it just so happened I wanted to put a little bit more personality into it and try to try to have that be a more of a marketing tool. Um, mm-hmm. There was a lot of discussion at the time in the early days of the App Store. There was a lot of discussion around, okay, so we're giving we developers have been giving the, given this platform for distribution, but Apple is not going to do the marketing for you. So you have to figure out how to do that. And I just remember being there being a lot of discussion in the developer community around that. Um do you pay for do you pay for banner ad placement? Um do you, you know, get a you know, get a sponsorship on a on a podcast or something? And I just you know, I figured the best way to do it was to make a fun video and sort of leverage my semi popularity in, in, in on Twitter to make that spread as much as I could and it turned out to be the right thing to do because it got a lot of attention and then following that an, an actual bona fide giant corporation came and had seen it and said well we make iPhone apps will you come and make one of your videos for us and I, and I was like, well, I, I guess so. I don't even know. Do you want? Should I? Do you want to pay me for that? Or I don't know how that works. <laughs> what, yeah, no, what, it was, yeah, usually it works that way. Yeah, it wasn't was wasn't clear at the time. Was that Square? What was the first big one you did? No, the first one was something that's that was internal at Genentech, which is a, a biomedical, you know, pharmaceutical company. Um, and so that 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 was for an iPhone app that they had internal they have the they have a giant um i t department at Genentech at the time I don't know if this is still the case, but they were the single largest enterprise user of software of iphone of iphone not sorry of software um they were the single largest enterprise user of iphones um deployed something like five thousand iPhones deployed within their company so they made they had this i t department that was developing these apps inter- internally not for pharmaceutical development necessarily, but for like things like scheduling meetings and yeah. um, sales reps. You know, and- yeah. Sales, sales tracking, that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, a giant corporation with lots of money to spend, they, they, they want to figure out how to 
you know, do something that'll, you know, you know, how big corporations do. They pump a lot of money into morale boosting things. Right. Well, well, let's let's stay on this track a little bit, yeah. and let's talk a little bit about how how does that process work from start to finish. Mm-hmm. You've got a client that comes to you and says, you know, I want you to develop a commercial or a promotional video or whatever for you. I I, I think I heard on a recent episode um, of the was it the Pipeline or the Talk Show with Dan uh, Benjamin and John Gruber that you're a Final Cut Pro guy, and we'll, well, I'll, I'll get your opinions on that a little bit later. But but how does that process start from start to finish? Okay, let's let's make a video for your for your product. Sure. Well, what I what I try to do initially is I try to use the product and figure out what is enjoyable or delightful about it and then figure out how to translate that delight onto video. That's at its very basic, you know, ex- ex- expression. That's that's how I that's how I do these things. Um and so in a company like, say for a product, for instance, like Square, there are a few magical aspects of, uh, uh, delightful aspects of using that product. The first one is um, plugging in the little dongle. It made a really pleasing click, but even, you know, the click of the, the audible click of the dongle going into the headphone jack. But on top of that, um, there was this overlay that would pop up to show you that the dongle had been plugged in. And that was something that I'd never seen before. It was really cool and it was all it was all new and fresh. And so I wanted to be able to feature that aspect of of the product um which is a UI element and um so just picking out these these little moments that are the most pleasing to us on a human level and making sure to convey that delight. You don't have to be overt about it you can just make let it happen sort of organically and then people will pick up on those little cues um uh and so it basically from a tools perspective it all starts with text edit for me i i just open up a blank text edit document um and that's what i take notes in on a call um and it all gets saved out to to dropbox my isn't entire it, business is in Dropbox, of course. Isn't it amazing how many just cruel, uh, truly awesome projects start out with some text? Yeah, it's all, you know, ideas are just words and words are letters and letters go on your text edit a document. Um, you know, scribbling down quick, jotting down quick notes is just for me, it's always been best. It's something that I do in text edit. Um, without any distraction or anything, okay. and I know that there are a lot of there are a lot of writing tools out there, and I've heard you guys talk about some of them. Right. Um, I have a related question to that, though. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're saving a bunch of text files, how do you organize them? Um, I put. I don't, I don't mean to get you too off. No, scope, it's an but, interesting yeah. question because this is something that I've been dealing with lately, especially with all this iCloud, iCloud business. Right. Um. So I have a huge dependence on on access to the file system. I don't know if you guys do, but my folders are everything to me. Yeah, we we had a show on that actually. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do the same thing, although that's how I know you a know, lot of people do tagging and things like that. Oh no, I can't do that. I mean, I do use notational velocity, and it all comes sort of goes in one bundle, and it's all highly searchable and sortable. But um, no, I I rely heavily on the file system, and my folders are my organizational tactic. So. For every project that go that gets started in Dropbox, um, it's got a new folder, and then it's got a notes folder, and a you know um, editorial folder, and a reference folder, and 
my my entire world is in folders. And when they take away folders from me, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. And that's part of the the reason that I don't um I don't really rely on the iPad so much for for works. Certainly not pr- for productive tasks. Okay. Um, so are you just do you just know your organization system so you know okay I've got this hierarchy and I know that this goes here and this goes here and this is how it's organized or are you just are you spotlight searching or you just you just know the the hierarchy I just know the hierarchy I'm not a heavy user a power user I should, probably shouldn't say that oops <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not okay. a power user of things like launch bar and um I do use spotlight if I can't find something but generally I know where everything is and I and I'm willing to do the extra effort to reach for it with my cursor. Sure. But now you had said you use text edit, but then you also said you use notational velocity. So how do those two work together for you? I do just because the sync is so valuable to me because I'll be lying in bed and an, an idea will come, come up and Dropbox is great as a mobile experience for reading, but not so much for writing. Um, so I, I really rely on simple note uh, for, jotting down ideas and yep. i know that when i jot down an idea in simple note the next time i open up notational velocity on my mac it'll be there and vice versa but then when you take notes on your mac you do it in text edit you don't do that in, in uh, notational velocity generally that's that's how i do it that's weird right yeah well, i was just thinking wouldn't it make more sense to combine them all in one or the other it would, except there's something really Don't valuable. Don't mess up the man's work. No, no. you know what it is. It's it's an aesthetic thing more than anything because I feel like when I start a new text edit document, I, I have a blank canvas, and I really rely on the cleanliness of a blank canvas to start a, a new project. Yeah, that makes or sense. Or or a new note or whatever. When I open up Notational Velocity, um, half of the half of the window is taken up with a cluttered, messy list of text of notes that I've taken previously. And that is enough for my um, overly distracted brain to not want to use it for capturing new thoughts. That makes sense. I, I'm going to send you a link uh, when we get off the show here for Envy All, Brett Terpstros. I was just yeah. thinking about that. There's, yeah. a, there's a notational velocity alternative that may be bad. I don't, I don't want to mess up if you've got something that works, but you may want to. No, I'm always willing to try new tools. I don't have a lot of energy to expend on figuring out how to use new tools. Um, I'm certainly no no Merlin when it comes to that thing. That guy can figure out any tool and figure out how to um, how to uh, embrace it in his workflow yeah. quicker than anybody I know, just because his brain works so blazingly fast. Yeah. Um, okay. But mine doesn't, so I kind of like I need to learn a tool and stick with it for a while. I'll send you a link. You may. It's basically it's a fork of notational velocity. It's much more customizable, so you can kind of get rid of some of the noise and it goes full screen. Oh, it, great. It, it's just amazing to me uh, this like deluge of text editors we've got, and it all started with the uh, the Mac App Store. There are so many text editors available uh, right. that just weren't there before. It used to be like if you wanted simple, you did Write Room. If you wanted something fancy, it went up the you know up the gamut up to Word. And now there's it's like there's hundreds of them. I don't even know how to make sense of them all now. Yeah, I was using something originally on the iPhone called Notebooks, I think, or Note. Not notes, because that's the yellow Apple one. I think it was notebooks. And it allowed for creating folders and, and tags and stuff like that. But there was no sync solution. So at the time, there was no um, there was no Mac app. I don't know if there is now. But um, when I discovered Simple Notes and figured out that it would actually, it worked to do sync well, 
there it was uh, there was no turning back for me. Sure, they solved the mm-hmm. problem first. Yeah, and it's yeah. interesting that they solved it before before Apple really did. Yeah. Um, who wants to sync their notes every time they sync their iPhone? That's terrible. Yeah, simple. That's why iCloud is iCloud is going to be a giant giant game changer. I think. Yeah, I think so. Especially for people who the idea of working with folders and hierarchies it's it scares them or it's foreign to them because it's just yeah. I see. I've I've never understood that. Perhaps you, maybe you can explain that mentality to me. I've never understood it. Well, I think there's a lot. Of, but David gets no, it. I, I get it. I think Apple gets it too. I think there's a lot of people sure. out there who don't want to be bothered with this stuff. They want to turn on their computer and they want to write something and then they want to be done. And they could care less how many you know megabytes or gigabytes the hard drive is or how much RAM there is or where the folders are. They sure. just want it to do a, a thing for them. And I think that's where iCloud really gets it right. It's, it's, uh, there is no user interaction involved. Right. And there's this idea that one application, like one instance equals one task equals one application for doing something. Um, where if I've got a, if let's say I've got a, a picture sitting on my hard drive somewhere, I can choose to open it in any number of different ways and any number of different applications and do different things with it. But this new philosophy of how Apple is trying to introduce the, these, the, this idea of tasks and instances of these digital artifacts is that we always basically use the same tool to access the same type of thing. Exactly. Um, we, we just had a mm-hmm. conversation about that on our last episode where we're talking about, you know, somebody wrote in and said, well, now that there's iCloud, you don't need Dropbox. And I said, well, like, take the... That's not true. Well, that's totally untrue, yeah. yeah. Take the example of a PDF file. Um, I use one PDF file on the Mac. I use a different PDF app on the PC. I use three different apps on the iPad for PDFs. Mm-hmm. And so an iCloud solution doesn't solve that problem because not I wanna, at all. I want to open it in all three of them. And so you have to have Dropbox. Yeah, so this is an interesting question because uh, Dropbox's bread and butter is the file system. The the reason the Dropbox works, and somebody put an amazing answer on Quora about why, what you know, the question was why is, has Dropbox succeeded where others have failed, and the, the answer was so simple and great, and it was because it looks like a folder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if Apple, if first of all, none of us have really used iCloud all that much yet, I'm guessing. Um, iCloud doesn't really promise to offer us access to the file system in any way right now. But if they do and it works well, Dropbox goes away. Yeah, you but know, I think they entirely. view they view iCloud as um as making the file system obsolete. Yeah, which gives me the shivers. Yeah. <laughs> well, I it's not it. it's not going to for us nerds, and Dropbox isn't going away. Yeah, and all the you know. Well, unless they keep keeping the door front door open. Right. Yeah, that's another issue. Yeah. Okay, so our next sponsor is One Password. Now, Katie, you use One Password all the time, right? I use One Password everywhere, and you probably tell everybody about it, right? I do. Yeah, this is the one app that becomes viral. While I refuse to go and tell everybody they have to buy Max, I have no compunction about telling people that they have to buy One Password because this really solves the password problem that we all face. I mean, everybody has the situation where they keep you know one or two passwords that they can remember. You That's know. a bad idea. Yeah, what was it? Was it Ferris Bueller or was it, um, I think it was War Games where they had the, the password was pencil, remember? Mm. He pulls the mm-hmm. desk out. Maybe I'm too old. But either way, so it used to be you had one or two passwords and you remembered them and you used them everywhere. Well, guess what? 
the uh, the password bad guys, they're they're really smart now, and they figure they throw the dictionary at your password thing, and they'll figure it out. One password solves this problem. It allows you to create unique passwords for each website, keeps track of all of them for you, and it also works on multi-platform. So you can have your passwords on your Mac, your PC, your iPhone, your iPad. You're all set. And uh, the magic that keeps all this together? Dropbox. Yeah, so everything syncs through Dropbox, but they do encrypt it before it goes to Dropbox, so it gives you some additional protection. Uh, 1Password is an outstanding application. On the Mac, it's 40 bucks. Uh, you can get a family license for 5 for $70. They have an iOS hybrid version that's 15 that gets it on both your iPhone and your iPad. Uh, really, if you're not using 1Password, just stop the podcast right now, go download it and check it out, because you're going to find it's totally worth the investment. Uh, I use it all the time. Right, and it's got a nice, clean, new look for Lion. Uh, and also, David, if they use the link over at MacPowerResearch.com, we can save them 20% on that, too. Well, we're just saving everybody money today. Go check it out and clean up your security system on your Mac or iPad or iPhone or PC Even or whatever. PC. Yeah, go, just go get one password and you're set to go. Let's jump back in your workflow. I'm sorry I, I interrupted you and got off on a tangent, but I think it was a good tangent. Yeah, it's a good, every tangent is a good tangent. Yeah, but okay. So you you open it up and you take notes, and you've got your client notes in in text edit, and and then where do we go? Um, so it all goes in in um, in there generally. So a lot of directors, commercial directors, um, part of the process of getting work approved um, with the client is doing giant pitches, giant creative pitches, which in, can involve. A lot of Photoshop and mock-ups and sketches and entire booklets and glossy printouts of ideas and animatics and previs and I tend not to do any of that. I, I I like this idea that my idea for create the creative output is simple enough to fit into a few paragraphs of text, and that those few those few paragraphs should be enough to express. Um, and communicate the idea efficiently. And up through now, that's been enough to get a client to sign off on something. So I generally keep my pitches in text. Um, I'll, you, you know, I'll open up pages and, and make it a little bit prettier formatted but and save it out as a PDF and, and send that, attach that to an email. And I can totally see that because I... I see your spots and even you're in some of them and you're not in some of them. And even the ones you're not in, I know you made them. They just have a feel to them. So they either get you or they don't. Thank you. That's nice. I've heard, I've heard that a few times and it, and it makes me swell with pride. Um, you know, the, just the, just that, uh, you know, the idea that I do have a voice and that people can recognize my voice is that's, that's kind of what all an artist wants, I think. Yeah. You know, not that I call myself an artist, but that's well, you, you are. Know, anybody don't, who's don't doing kid yourself. Creative. You are. I mean, what you do is yeah. is truly artistic. It's commercial art, I guess. More yeah. of a designer, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any, anybody who does creative output, they want to know that they're doing it unlike anybody, any anybody else. So that's really gratifying. Um, now, references are a different thing. You know, that's where the internet comes in, and I can put links in my in my creative treatment. And say, you know, if if it's not enough to describe a movie that you're referring to and you can go to YouTube and include a link, then that's so valuable. That's 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 something that you can't print out. Um, so you can extend the hyperlinking, you know, functionality of text and 
deliver that as part of your pitch and it, and it's, and it's really valuable. Um, so every up, up to, through this point, everything is still in text. And then for the money stuff, um, you know, I handed, I, you know, I hand the treat the treatment off to somebody who knows how to do things that I don't know how to do, which is a producer. And I work with a couple of really skilled, um, producers that know what things cost and how to allocate budgets. And they, you know, they use tools like Excel or, um, numbers or, I don't know. We tried, I, I bought a couple licenses of movie magic budgeting software. And I don't remember if David mentioned this specifically. I, I remember he mentioned, uh, David Wayne. I remember he mentioned final draft. And movie magic is sort of the budgeting equivalent of Final Draft, where it's just this dinosaur piece of tech of software that um, they don't care about making it pretty. They don't care about making it easy to use or um, intuitive. But for some reason, it, it is the standard in the industry. Um, but from what I can understand, my, my two producers don't enjoy using it, so they kind of stick with their old standbys of spreadsheets. And, um, so at that point, you know, then it's not just a money numbers game, figuring out how much everything costs. And then from then on, um, you know, my best friend is email. Um, I, I, or I, uh, is in terms of getting, um, organizationally communicating with all the people and there, are, you know, of course, many people, even in the small things that I do, there are many, many people, sometimes 50 to a hundred people that are involved in getting something made and my life is organized in email. Um, which email, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. yeah so I, I use Mac mail, um, mm-hmm. and I don't use Gmail. I actively avoid Gmail because really? yeah, yeah. I'm a big enemy of Gmail actually. <laughs> okay. Why? Uh, I, I've tried it and I find that the in browser experience um, creates just enough friction and drag for me that it doesn't operate at the speed that my mind wants it to. So why not use Gmail through IMAP in a in a mail client? Um, so for for some reason, uh, I could never I could never get um, I I could never get um, understand the the benefit of using Gmail over my my mobile me mail. Okay. Um, so if it was going to be a choice between my mobile email and putting all of my email in Gmail, um, but keeping it in in the Mac app, the Mac Mail app. Then I would I would just as soon keep it all in in Mac Mail. I guess I don't have a good answer to that. Maybe it's just a, yeah, fami- yeah, a comfort fun. zone and a familiarity. Yeah, I have the same yeah. problem because I I use Mail. Uh, I've just started really seriously using Gmail with the Mac Power Users account, but. For years, I've always just used a standard IMAP uh, account in Apple Mail. And I know that, you know, like once a year we have Merlin on and he talks about how great Gmail is and everybody says how great it is. And I've just never been able to get over the hump. I And like you, I've always felt that the web interface is really ugly, but now they've fixed it. It's prettier now. Mm-hmm. But I, I still, you know, also I'm, I'm a little creeped out by the fact that the computer reads all the email to make these ads. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, that's gross too. I'll, don't worry, it's fine. And I, I think it really is fine. I don't think there's really anything you know devious going on. Right. But I, I just, I still can't seem to get over that. But 
No, I, I agree with you. I might as well just keep it to, we might as well keep it in our own, in our own homes, you know, and not have it pass through a warehouse first. Yeah. Right. So how, how do you have the email organized? And I mean, I guess you're using IMAPS, so you have folders on the server and how do you, how do you have all that stuff? Email is one of the things I think we're going to go over in a new episode. So I'm always looking for new ideas. Yeah. My, my email, is, my email needs and my system is so, so simple. And uh, I can see the way, the way it works is I get a new email and then I respond to it and then I archive it. Um, do you manually archive it? Do you have a rule that archives? No, nope, I don't have filters. I don't have rules. I don't have macros or hotkeys or anything. And I get, no. and I get lots of email. I, I, I answer hundreds of emails a day. And I don't feel like it, it gets in the way of my creative process. I feel like it actually serves my creative process. So I don't resent it in the same way that I keep hearing so many people resent email. And it, it kind of makes me sad that so many people resent email when I consider it such a creative tool. So you don't use any little cheats? You don't use text expansion software? or Nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah. nope. But I really enjoy it. I really enjoy answering email. And so you, you know, so someone writes you an email, you respond to it, and you move it to the archive. Yeah. So, um, what about on your on your? Uh, well, I don't. I'm assuming you use an iPhone. Is is that? I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Adam, okay. let's just take a second I mean, though. There. What what gear do you use? What gear? Um, computing wise. Yeah. So I, I have a Mac Pro, which has got 12 cores in it, and I and it's beautiful for doing the heavy video stuff that I do. Um, I've got two cinema displays, um, the 27s. Um, so my office is basically half screen. Okay. Um, and, uh, I've got an iPhone, which is my favorite computer that I've ever owned. And I've got an 11 inch air that, which, which is my second favorite computer that I've ever owned. Um, and I, I, I do own an iPad, but I haven't actually used it in quite a while. Um, and I've got a Drobo, uh, for all, for, you know, for just keeping all my data safe. Yeah. Especially, especially the, the work. Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, video is really, really heavy data. Um, but I don't have, I'm, I'm not working on a system where I have to share it with other editors or anything. So I don't really need a, um, I, you know, David was talking about how when they do work on the Avid on his movies, they need uh, Unity for the, for all of the file serving. Um, I don't I don't need anything like that. So my Drobo is my Drobo is basically just archival. Um, I don't work off of it or anything. The speeds aren't probably fast enough for that. Okay. Um, I've got you know I've got a few fat hard drives in my in my Mac Pro that I use for all my media. Um, I back up my user data to um, on a nightly basis to a time capsule. Um, what else? I'm just looking around. I've got just a, you know, a bevy of external hard drives that are just sitting on my shelf. A lot of times, I see, I don't know if you know, know about this aspect of the, the industry, but, um, it's kind of cool now that we're not so much shooting on film anymore. Um, there's an entire like new department of, uh, that of the camera department, you know, sub department of the camera department that didn't used to exist before, and it's called DIT, um, digital. Oh my God, I don't even know what it stands for. No, data, data something something is data something something. Um, never. But technology say that I'm not. That's always a good yeah, guess. Yeah, <laughs> d- data. Let's just say ice cream. Data ice cream technology. Excellent. With and with um, sprinkles. Yeah. So the guy, the the person who's the the DIT, 
um, has a little cart with a computer on it, and all they do all day is manage the data that's being shot digitally by the cameras. Um, whether that's a, a DSLR, you know, I started out making these videos on DSLR, shooting on um, my seven, my Canon seven D that I that I have. That that is my camera that I shoot with. If I have to shoot shoot something myself, and that records to compact flash cards, um, but still they're heavy video files, so. Um, it it helps to have somebody wrangling all that data and offloading it to a, a laptop, for instance, on set while you're shooting. Um, I haven't shot anything professionally on the 7D for a while. Um, about probably a year ago, I started shooting more on the RED camera and then more recently the Alexa camera, which is made by Aerie. Um, and... My favorite, yeah, the the Alexa is my favorite camera to shoot with. It looks, looks really nice. And there, there are these, if you see them in person, they're these giant, you know, cameras that look like they may as well be the giant Panavision cameras that you see when you see a, you know, a film set. And, uh, you know, it feels like real professional every, or, and everything, but they make these giant files, these giant digital files instead of capturing to film. And so you've got... Um, generally there's the, the camera department, it consists of the director of photography, um, who's sort of creatively responsible for the way that everything looks. And then they have, sometimes they have a camera operator under them that actually does the, you know, is the one behind the camera that's, um, looking into the viewfinder and, um, uh, you know, operating in the sense that if the camera has to be moved, they move it, um, in the shot. And then you've got the first camera, first assistant, first AC, first camera assistant. Um, and that person is in charge of keeping the shot in focus. And um, usually there's a second AC as well. And that person is in charge of um, a lot of the, the responsibilities that uh, require the maintenance of, of, are required, but, you know, to maintain the camera and, um, you know, keep track of lenses and do this, you know, keep track of the slate, the camera slate that says the name of the shot on it and everything like that. Um, and then, and then this new position, the DIT, um, which would used to be called the film loader, um, is the person that's responsible for taking the data off of the cameras, you know, memory cards or whatever it is, or hard drives and trend, trend, uh, transferring them all to external drives so that, and and you know redundancy is huge in that case because you you know you don't all you have at the end of the day is is your data and so then your um, stack of hard drives and your shelf there is your dit yeah basically yeah so and then you know data tends to be redundant i i think everything that i've shot lives on three different drives um smart <laughs> yeah it's the it's the backup solution and then and then all of the project files themselves for instance a final cut project that lives in Dropbox all the time. So I don't really have to, I don't, I don't need a backup solution and those files are relatively light anyway. So a final cut project file can be, you know, a couple of megabytes or something. So you work, you work with that file off of the Dropbox and, and then it's um, accessing the, the film from a separate hard drive or a separate correct. folder yeah. on the hard drive. Yep, and it's making all the final cut is making all those relationships to the media files itself in a very intelligent way. And just uh, but before we get to the okay. the post production stuff, when you're doing a shoot and you've got these great cameras, 
Do you record straight into a Mac at that point, or do you, uh, do they record onto memory cards? Yeah, memory cards or hard, hard drives. Yeah, so they they tend to have like a hard drive module that's attached to the camera or something like that. Um, like I said, in the in the case of the seven D or a five D uh, DSLR, it's got compact flash cards in it. Um, so yeah, nothing would get captured straight to a computer. That doesn't sound. That doesn't feel like a very stable um, capture mechanism to me. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and sometimes you have, um, you know, an entire video department on, on, a, on a set, which is uh, in charge of playback. Generally, they call that uh, VTR or video assist. And that department is in charge of keep it like setting up client monitor or setting up monitors, you know, flat, you know, big screens for people to look at from behind the camera. And if a shot needs to be played back or anything, um, they can do that. I don't really have that department on any of my sh- on on my sets because if something needs to be played back, played back, they can do it from the camera. So um, how many people do you have when you do a shoot? I mean, on average, I mean, because I know like yeah, a movie huh. will have a, a lot of people, but I would presume Hundreds. you guys have a, a right. smaller crew. Yeah, smaller, but not as small as you would think. Um, my when I first started out, it was basically maybe two people. And now on something like the, the Groupon thing that you were talking about before, there can be, including like background and everything, there could be 60, 70 people. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's, before it's quite we st- a lot. Before we started recording, I was complimenting Adam on this Groupon. I, I, I guess, what, is that the newest one that you've done? Um, that's the newest one that's come out. I shot another Groupon one in the meantime and some stuff for Jawbone. And actually, I've got a backlog of stuff that hasn't come out yet. Um, but well, yeah. the, the Groupon one is, I just think it's so good. I mean, just the way everything flows. And, uh, so, and I guess we should just, um, be clear to our, our, uh, our listeners. The, these are the new Groupon ads. <laughs> yeah. I didn't make the one, I didn't make the one that got Not pulled for five, uh, you know, that aired during the Super Bowl and got po- pulled after five days. I, did, I wasn't responsible for that. Although I'm sure you, you, you certainly would like the opportunity to do some Super Bowl ads. But, sure. Who wouldn't? Uh, I, yeah. I think, I mean, the day, the day that uh, one of Adam's commercials is on the Super Bowl, that will be the day that the nerds have made it. <laughs> there you <laughs> because, go. And I, I, mean, I think, I think next year is good. Year. I don't, I'm looking right. at these, and they're they're better than most of the ones on the Super Bowl. Maybe that's just me, but you know what I need in my videos is more like um, physical humor, like crotch kicking and things like that, because that seems to be giant in the in the world of Super Super Bowl <laughs> advertising. Yeah. Well, that or, or you need a kid in a Darth Vader mask, right? Oh, that was a cute one. That yeah. was a cute one. Yeah. yeah. But so so you've got a lot of people. I didn't realize that you had that many people on on a set for one of these these newer uh, ad spots. It's hard because I try to keep the aesthetic quality of what I do um, more organic and smaller feeling homebrew. Yeah, but I mean, the, going back to the that one that you did, the first one I saw that you did was the one for um, Square. And when you sold the guy the couch, it was like, okay, I'm in. You know, I'm going to get one of these things now. This is cool. I, I might sell a couch someday, and I need this. You know, I just like and those I like ones the were fun. I think that it's consistent that you you talk to people who have achieved some success at at something, and they long for the early days of what they were of when they were doing it. You know, the first that was really exciting to figure out how to how to make things on a very limited budget and with no resources and 
have, okay, I need another guy. I need a guy to be the guy that I sell the couch to. Okay, I'm going to call my friend Jason. And Jason's mm-hmm. got a great face. Um, and then, oh, shoot, who's going who's gonna to operate the camera? Okay, how about Robert, the guy who designed Square? How about yeah. that guy? Yeah, sure. He can hold a camera. Why not? Well, you know, he, he is a photographer in his own right, but I don't think he expected to be doing that when he showed up that day. Um, that's Rob, Robert Anderson, um, Dynamo designer. So so now you're much bigger, though, and you've got these bigger sets. How are you using Apple technology uh, when you're doing these shoots? Um, well, you know, there are a lot of MacBook Air. Uh, Mac, Mac, there are a lot of laptops involved, MacBook Pros involved, um, just in the production. Uh, it's funny. Everything, every shoot that I do, basically, on screen, you're going to see an iPhone or... Uh, um, you know, multiple MacBook Pros. You're always going to see my MacBook Air make a cameo, and generally, <laughs> I forget to, um, like sort of reserve an iPhone specifically for the purposes of of um of the product shots. So it all it's always going to be my iPhone. And you know, I've had m- many many shots ruined by somebody text texting me in the middle of the shot. Um, <laughs> and and it's. You know, it's it's generally going to be my phone. It's generally going to be my phone with a blue grid on the screen for uh, so that I can, you know, re- replace the screen with whatever the app is afterwards. Right. And um, I've had situations like on the latest Groupon thing that I shot, we really wanted a variety of different types of laptops because it's this this, this specific video is to show merchants um, how they can use Groupon. Um, or the, the new product, which is called Groupon Now, which is all about real-time deals. Um, so not everybody in the world uses a Mac. I wanted to get uh, see if I could find a Windows laptop, and that that's kind of a um, a comedy of errors because nobody I know uses a Windows laptop. And I and I I think I put it out on Twitter. A couple of people answered and said what I was looking for was something really small and and attractive. And cute and yeah. cute, and it turns out that's not such an easy task, so i ended up i I ended up going to um to Best Buy and by what I just did was I bought a a toshiba a cute little blue toshiba laptop that was essentially a netbook it was about ten inches, and it did the trick and it looked good in the shot and uh I cleaned out the you know i digitally cleaned out the the toshiba lo- logo for for it from it and uh and then returned it the next day that worked out <laughs> uh but w- it's it's funny going to the best buy and asking them for their smallest laptop because what they want to do is sell you the tablet you know yeah yeah they, they because the the other the other tablet makers are pushing them huge right now and this the nut the sales numbers are not doing that well because yeah. everybody wants an ipad yeah the, that's the question is it is there a tablet market or is there an ipad market and so far there's right. an ipad market it, exactly market. yeah so I go into I go into Best Buy. Their their stock is really really low on the laptops because they've put all of their all of their eggs in the in the tablet basket. So there's the the Geek Squad is is pushing the tablets hard, but nobody wants that crap. <laughs> so Adam, it seems like you've got a really big crew now, but you seem still to be very very involved in in every aspect of this. Yeah, that's my own failing. Um, I, I kind of am a control freak in that way, and I really sort of it's mostly because I love every part of the process and want to know about it and know how everything is made, but mostly because I just have such a 
an impossibly difficult time giving up any control. Right. So the the big controversy right now is is Final Cut Pro X. Right. And um, I, you know, I, I know we could spend hours on this topic, but I won't ask you to do that because I'll, I'll refer people instead to the the recent talk show episode that you did with um, Dan and Merlin on that. But uh, oh, Dan and uh, Gruber, Gruber, yeah. Dan and Dan and Gruber, yeah. yes. I'm sorry, you did it with Dan and Gruber. Uh-huh. Um, what do you? What are your thoughts? Do you do you do you see that taking off? Do you see yourself sticking with seven for for a while? I see myself sticking with are seven. Are you angry? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. I'm not quite as angry as I was at first because you know there's always going to be a, a reaction, an extreme reaction, positive or negative, whenever something first changes, especially something that um, is so essential to your workflow. But um, yeah, I mean, I've gone on ad nauseum about it on that podcast. I'm sort of sick of hearing myself and everybody talk about it. I'm just, I'm just going to say this to sum up. I'm going to keep, I'm going to stick with the final cut that I use and know and rely on for probably quite a while. But I am, um, I, I am very interested and remain optimistic about whatever is coming next in, uh, and whatever that first version of final cut 10 represents. And I, and I know I'm going to use it or, I know I'm going to learn it, and um, what I think it represents is a new way of thinking about editing. That down the years down the line, it will seem like a no-brainer, um, but right now feels like an enormous, heavy-handed paradigm thrust rather than a shift. You know? Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned in that episode, and I don't mean to keep pushing you on Final Cut, but I think it relates to a lot of things in your industry and, and a, a problem that a lot of people have is that when Apple started selling Final Cut Pro 10, they stopped selling Final Cut Pro 7. Right. And and you've got a problem that if you're if you're in a in an industry like yours, and, and David Wayne talked about this, you know, it could take him months to edit a movie, and he could be in various stages on various projects. He's not switching, right. you know, midstream, and he may not switch for another couple of projects down the line. Um, I would imagine in an industry like yours, where some of the software is so specialized and so expensive, how do you how do you get around that? How do you how do you future proof, so to speak, or or do you just do you just have to jump or do you, yeah. do you find that a lot of times some of the software is holding you back? I've never felt held back by the software in when it comes to Final Cut Pro. Um, I'm working with a really fast system and I don't feel that anything ever drags or holds me back from the speed of my thought process. So, and And again, it's the tool that I know and it's the tool that people that I work with know. So I'm going to keep using it and... Yeah, it's terrible that they stopped selling it. I didn't really foresee myself having to buy new licenses of Final Cut in the next year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody I know has a license, and I'm not building out a post-production facility. I'm still just going to kind of be editing on my own and um, hiring editors who also own a license. So it's not quite so much of a problem for me. All right. And I think we've now arrived at the post-production. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Now you've got the, the super, uh, Oh, you know what? Pro. Can we take a step? Can we take a step back? Because okay. I wanted to talk about, yeah. I wanted to talk about something that David Wayne mentioned on his, on his episode, which resonated with some, with me so clearly, which is during production, everybody uses different pieces of software and none of them talk to each other. And it's, it's right. a giant problem. Um, that, and, you know, and 
David Sparks, you and I talked about this on the phone yesterday a little bit about how that exists as a universal problem in any industry, pretty much, um, where yeah. you've got diff- you've got different pieces of the puzzle that don't know how to fit together. Um, it, I noticed it, this. For- Sorry, go ahead. It almost seems to me like it's kind of um, a uh, you know it's a resonating issue with the whole enterprise mentality that we've been in for the last twenty years. Right. Uh, that computers have not been nimble, and and industries as a result are not nimble when it comes to their technology. Right. So what, the, the biggest problem is what is going to be the connective tissue between all those pieces of, of information? Is it going to be the internet? Um, because most of the time in production, I mean, no, not most of the time. A lot of the time in production, you don't, not everybody has access to the internet. Um, that's changing more and more. In fact, the internet is becoming a huge part of the production process. Um, one of my one of my DPs that I work with a lot, Rachel Morrison, she just shot um, the the Tim and Eric feature. Uh, I don't know if you guys know who Tim and Eric are. They they have um, they they're sort of comedy cult legends right now on on television, and they just made a feature. Um, and they had this whole system of dailies where and anybody like where, where Rachel could access the dailies from the day on her iPhone. Basically the data gets offloaded to the editorial facility. They convert it all into, um, into iPhone formatted video. Yeah, so and then from, yeah. And then from wherever she is, she could be out at dinner. I'm curious about, whether she lit a shot correctly from the day and she can, you know, go on her iPhone, she can dial it up right there over 3g and watch the, watch the playback of it. It's, it's kind of mind blowing how that works. Um, and it's getting even faster than that too. The, the, a shorter feedback loop than that, even where, um, some companies are experimenting with, um, monitoring solutions that go f- straight from camera to the iPhone or iPad. So rather than having everything hardwired to a client monitor, per- for, for instance, you, um, people can sort of wirelessly be watching what the camera is seeing right there over IP, which is, is, is also pretty mind blowing. It's the kind of the future that we've been seeing for a decade at least, but it started kind of finally starting to materialize. But the problem still exists where um, you've got all these diff- these disparate departments on a feature or uh, are in production, um, and people are still using their own pieces of software that don't talk to each other when really it could be making every everyone's job ten times easier and and more efficient if there were some system of of, of universal connectivity. Um, I've, I, J, David mentioned that he he had a vision, and it's, it piqued my interest because I've also had a vision for quite a while since I start since my first time on a feature set. Um, when I was sitting, you know, when I'm taking notes on my laptop in FileMaker Pro, and I look over next to me, and the script supervisor is taking notes um, r- by handwriting them on the script, and then there's and there's the video department that is capturing all these each take. Um, as a separate video file, yet none of our three pieces of software are aware. Oh, and then you've got the sound department that's recording each take to an audio file that has no correlation um, to the video file. 
Um, and all somebody has to do is step in and say, hey, I have a solution for tying all this stuff together and handing it off to the editorial department. And all of a sudden, there's there's this intelligence to the process that didn't exist before. And I think one of the challenges is, uh, you know, we've got the Internet now, which is great, but we've also got a lot more platforms now. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, when this stuff started, uh, you know, the Windows PC was basically it. Right. Or the Mac, which is, you know, had a much smaller market share, but now we've got all these mobile operating systems and, uh, you know, Linux and Chromebooks, and we, we've got all this stuff. I mean, uh, I think in some ways it's even harder now than it was. So It is, and I think that Apple is, in a way, with iCloud, they're trying to sort of counteract that multiple platform problem um, by offering up something like iCloud as a single platform for everything to connect with. Yeah. Like, well, I, you know, could there be a future where every department uses um, a specialized app that does um, interact with and save data out, lo- you know, remotely to iCloud, um, but all of that data intelligently that lives remotely knows how to talk to each other? The answer is yes, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? You know? Yeah. Guys like you and David Wayne need to, you know, push the way. It's fun to think about anyway. Okay, let's take a moment for our last sponsor, Objective Development. Uh, Objective Development publishes my favorite launcher app on the Mac called LaunchBar. You know, David, we did an entire show about LaunchBar, so if our listeners want to learn more about this product, they can go back in our archives and listen. In fact, I just got an email recently from someone saying that that is the definitive LaunchBar tutorial. If you get LaunchBar and you want to figure out how it works, just go download the Mac Power Users episode on it. And uh, we'll put a link in the show notes so you can click right to that show. But what does LaunchBar do? It just launches applications, right? No, it does a lot more than that. So oh, yeah. it runs your whole Mac. You hit um, whatever your key combination is. Mine is control space. And it opens the LaunchBar window. From there, you can access address books. Uh, you can ac- access apps. You can access uh, files. I mean, just launching a file from an app is just way different. For instance, if I want to launch a Pages document, I'll hit the launch bar key combo, type P, and then Pages will show up because it knows I use that often. Then I hit the space bar, and it gives me a list of all the most recently opened Pages documents. I can go over and select one of those and hit Enter, and it loads Pages and loads that file. I mean, something that used to take a bunch of mouse clicks and tapping and everything, now you do it in just a few seconds. I mean, people Without ever taking your hand off the keyboard. Yeah, people watch me do this, and they think it's like magic, how things just appear. And uh, it's a great app, and we're really happy to have them as a sponsor. Uh, you can get a single license uh, for $35 on your Mac. Uh, you can get a family pack for $60. And they have upgrades. If you use the old version, you definitely want to upgrade and check out the latest version, 5.1. Make sure you're up to date. They just released an update with Lion. Perfectly compatible with Lion and a bunch of new features as well. Yeah. Great stuff. Go check them out. Launch bar. But let's get back. So you know, you're doing your post-production. And mm-hmm. so you, you do that mainly in Final Cut uh, 7 at this point. Right. And, uh, um, and, and you, yeah. you're the guy, right? I mean, mainly you, you've got your two 27-inch monitors and yeah. some, what, some Doritos and Coca-Cola <laughs> and you're ready to go, right? And I just start cranking Cheetos, on Cheetos, not Doritos. Right. Well, from time to time, um, I'll bring in somebody else to, like as an editorial assistant, to do things like syncing the, the video and the audio, um, the, the, the more tedious stuff. But it sort of turns out that 
um, the time you spend doing that stuff is actually, or the time that I spend doing that stuff, like syncing dailies, is time that I'm actually ingesting the footage mentally. Yeah. And I, I do this all very, very slowly. And that's what kind of a part of my problem specifically where I, um, my, my business at this point can only scale so big because um, I'm slowed down by the, the, um, by the process of, of post-production. But um, that's all part, that's all time that I spend with the dailies and getting to know the footage and then um, preparing myself mentally to start editing. Um, yeah, I'm the same way, Adam. I mean, yeah, totally different business, but you know, I do when I have, I'm a, an attorney. So when I go out and I have a case, I'm the guy who goes up and crawls in the attic. If it's a construction case, I take right. the depositions. I read the, I, I refuse to let anybody else touch my case because I want right. to be the expert at the end. You have to know. Yeah. Cause all it takes is one time of, of an assistant forgetting to do something. And then all of a sudden you're there. You don't really necessarily trust that the due diligence has been done. Well, and it's not only that, it's just having been there and done it yourself you get insight that you wouldn't have otherwise. Sure. I mean, sure. when I have a case against a firm and they have six lawyers working the case, I always win because yeah. nobody <laughs> on the other case knows it. That's so great. The same applies to movies, I think, where you know, you you, you kind of know that if a writ of a if a movie in the intro in uh, the beginning credits of a movie if there are seven writers in the in the um in uh seven names under the writing credit you know there are exceptions, of course. There, are, there were eleven people in the state, and they were all writers. Um, so there are exceptions, but you generally know that if if a movie says that some, some uh, if a movie has been written by three different writing teams, then it's probably it's probably going to suck. Right. But so, but you, but sense. so you're at home, uh, or you're, you're in your studio, and you're putting together these these pieces, disparate pieces, and you do the editing. But mm-hmm. I would imagine you also bring in your um, your special effects processing, like looking at this Groupon ad. I'm definitely going to put the link in the show notes. There's some great graphics of the Groupons popping up as she's walking down the street. Do you do all that yourself? Um, par- partially. Some of that stuff I do by myself. On that one specifically, I brought in um, the, the assistance of a, of a friend who has a co- – my friend Tim Karras has a company um, in Santa Monica that does effects. Um and they're they're called Komen VFX. Um, and he I, he wrote to me. He wrote an email to me and said, basically a few months ago, he said, "Listen, you're doing a lot of work these days. I imagine that there's kind of a bottleneck for your effects process. Please help us unload. You know, um, please unload some of that on 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 us so you can so you're freed up to do more work." I was like, "I like the cut of your jib." I like that email. Thank you very much. And uh, I went and talked with them, and so they helped out with that one, where they they actually built the 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 location marker deal things that fall from the sky. Yeah. Um. And I, all I had to do in the effects capacity was those, you know, the text that comes up on the screen, because that that's some of the stuff. If you're doing it in the edit, um. It's just quicker. The feedback process is quicker, especially if you're working remotely. And, and you know that um, the, the true like gem of that is where you put subtitles while she's eating the hamburger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was fun, and that was the idea of the um, uh, a guy who who wrote the spot. Actually, um, I've just started bringing in, um, a friend to do copywriting on these too. Yeah. So piece by piece, I'm uh, offloading some of the responsibility. 
And um, there's a guy on Twitter named called Fireland, who's one of the funniest guys, funniest people on Twitter. Uh, his name's Josh Allen, and he actually wrote that spot because he used to. He's a copywriter for a living, anyway. I wanted to add him. And and then you do um, so you do the post production. And one of the things I had said to you before we start recording is I really like the music you use. Yeah, and now um, you, you have that custom composed for each spot. Uh, it depends. Sometimes I, some, especially early on, I was doing it myself um, because I, I really like making music. Um, the their very first square one, I I did the track for. Um, How'd you do that? Uh, I use a software called Logic. Okay. And you know, mm-hmm. I have a digital keyboard in my in my office, and uh, just you know, piecing together a track piece by piece. But um, the thing about that is that I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good. I'm not a very good music producer. And every time I w- I open Logic. Um, it's always been a couple of months since I've used it the last time, and I always have to relearn it. Um, it's a nice piece of software. It's not necessarily um, the most intuitive piece of software, but you know, Logic Ninjas can really do anything with it. Um, so I started out making m- making my own music uh, out of necessity, out of m- mostly a budget budgetary necessity. And then soon enough, I discovered the option of uh, same same thing. Actually, a guy wrote me on Twitter and said, "Hey, I like your videos. I make music for commercials. Do you need any help?" I was like, wow. and I went to his website and I listened to his stuff, and I was like, "Wow, you mean I can actually like pay like modest sums of money for this stuff and put it in my com- in my commercial and not have to worry about legal repercussions or anything?" It's an amazing thing, music licensing. A lot of times it's really expensive, but it can also be really affordable. So I went and um, this guy, Alex Weinstein in New York, has um, a library of all of his work that you can license. And so the first couple of times I worked with him, I just did that. I I paid a modest sum of money to license a track and then, you know, sort of retrofitted it into my retrofit, retrofitted into my um, into my video. And it worked magically and beautifully, and the client was really pleased. And you know, I didn't have to go with the stock library option, which can often be terrible. And um, and then the next time around, there was a little bit more budget to have Alex compose something. And um, for me, that's my that's probably my favorite part of the whole process um, is is getting to work on music with a composer. Um, because as you know, music can just have such a crucial, uh, emotional impact on the piece that you're making. It sits there in the background and like sound, you don't necessarily think about it. Like editing, you don't necessarily think about it. Most often you're thinking about things like actors and clothes and performances and dialogue, but, um, something like music that exists as another character in your piece can make a beautiful scene terrible or a mediocre scene great. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. it's really fun for me to work with Alex specifically. He's, he's great with um, with notes, and we speak the same language. At least I try to. I'm not. I'm not so well versed in music theory that I can, you know, that I can speak exactly to 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 his process. But you know, vaguely, we we if, if I make a reference to something, or 
if I talk about, you know, bar, bar numbers or rhythmic structure or anything like that, we can, we can have a conversation and he's really good with feedback. And to me, it's just, it doesn't even feel like work. It just feels like making something fun in the garage. Yeah. Adam, switching, switching gears a little bit. How do you manage your business using your Mac? Because that's been a, a topic of conversation that'll come up recently, especially with, you know, some of the Intuit pro- products right. not going to be working on Snow Leopard or excuse me, working on Snow Leopard, but not going to be working on, on Lion. Uh-huh. Um, you know, people seem to be kind of frustrated, but yet you've got your own business. I mean, or do you just outsource that and have an accountant say, here, take care of this? Or no. Are you using some of these stuff? This is another part of the process that I'm really in- involved in, that I really enjoy being involved in, is I do all the bookkeeping in um, in QuickBooks. Um, okay. So I use QuickBooks 2000. Are you going to be able to do that when line comes Well, no, out? I just got an email this morning that they they updated it. It was this morning or yesterday. They updated it so it is line compa- compatible. Okay. QuickBooks. I'm sorry, you're saying QuickBooks 2011 for Mac. Yeah. Yeah. For Mac. Okay. You know, well, you're one of the first people I've talked to that's been satisfied with that that app. Oh no, it doesn't work. It's a, it, no, I mean I learned QuickBooks on this current version, so I have nothing else to compare it to. Um it's probably horrendous and I know that I've tried to send my QuickBooks file to my accountant and he's been unable to open it. Yeah, they can't. Uh, you have to export yeah. it. It's uh, it's really weird. They don't read the Mac data file. Yeah, but even that, even exporting for Windows, like I, it, it turned out to be problematic, and he had to. I they were never actually able to translate it, and I eventually just had to print out like profit and loss sheets and balance sheets for every every account and send that to him, and it it ended up creating extra work and extra expense, and it it was a nightmare. So I wish that. Of course, I wish that my accountant was a Mac user as well. Um, but no, I'm I'm fine with QuickBooks. Basically, like I like FileMaker, it's a database and everything is related, and it's just that all the fields are sort of built in already. Um, and and the reason that it's sort of important for me to to do all the bookkeeping is at this point, and I realize this comes off as super obsessive, but. Mm-hmm. It's it's the best way for me to know what things cost when I'm shooting, um, sure. and I, it's the best way to, for me to manage the resources as, as well as I know how. And I know that if a certain um, you know a certain piece of grip equipment, for instance, is going to you know cost us x uh, x dollars on the last one, then I know that the next time when I'm writing, I can write maybe around that. And and if we don't have the budget for it, then I can not write any super techno crane shots that are going to go up a hundred feet high or anything like that. Um, and it also, it's a fun way for me to know, like to keep my, to keep my mind wrapped around how hard everybody is working and, and how valuable everybody is. The most valuable part of the whole process for me is getting to work with people who know what they're doing. You know, I think you can lose sight of that easily. Yeah. Um, if you're sitting in your director's chair and watching everybody, huff away and sweat and it's easy to lose sight that um you're working with real professionals and crafts and craftspeople. Um and and my favorite part of the process is getting to write the checks at the end of the job. Not not my not my favorite. That that'd be weird. Um but I really do like I really do enjoy it. It's just kinda like you know, it's closure. It's closure to everybody and saying the oppor- it's the, you know book it's the opportunity to say, Hey, I think you're valuable. 
Now, now you had said you don't use a lot of task management software. Do you run more than one project at a time, or do you just just kind of bury yourself on one until the next? Oh, generally, I have like six things going at a time. How do you manage all that stuff? Email. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, well, it's, I don't really understand because, like, if you, you you respond to email, you have inbox zero, you put it in the archive. Like, if somebody yeah. says, "Hey, Adam, in you know two weeks, we need to figure out how much it's going to cost to you know bring craft services." You know, right. How do you know yeah. in two weeks to do that? Yeah. Well, I actually, I use iCal as well, so it's not. Um, yeah, I use I use email and iCal. Um, you know, generally, if something urgent is is urgent, then somebody's going to email me about it. Um, I use email as sort of my collective personal assistant. So if I if I need to do something right away or if I just blew a deadline <laughs> then somebody's generally going to email me about it and I'll and I'll respond and um the things that fall away are the 10 are the things that people just forget to remind me to do this is a terrible way of time management in in a in a way but um yeah they weren't that important anyway <laughs> yeah. yeah no I use iCal I don't use Google Calendar um I use iCal for everything because I'm a I've been using mobile me since it, you know, for a good 10 years or whatever, uh, you know, when it was .Mac and iTools. Yeah, iTools. Um, so I heavily invested in that infrastructure. Uh, all of my calendaring is, is, is there and it, and it all syncs with my iOS devices. Yeah. Um, so you really use the Apple product line top to bottom. I mean, between the hardware and, you know, you're using the pro tools like logic yeah, and, and I do. And, Final Cut, and you use uh, use Motion for your, or do you use? Uh, I I don't I don't really typically do motion graphics work, and and motion graphics being different from like compositing and visual effects, uh, in that it's like it's stuff like flying logos and you know logo de- logo design and um most of what you see in in the space that I'm working in, which is the product demos is actually heavily motion graphics and rarely even involves any live action photography. Um, all of that stuff is generally done with after effects or I guess motion, but probably more typically after effects. Um, it's all heavily illustrated and stuff like that. And I don't really do any of that stuff. Um, I work with a couple of, couple of companies that do and are really good at it. Um, but I don't do any of that. And, and how do you capture like when you do the iPad or the iPhone screen, you know, you have video of the of the app running. Do you use like with some of the new stuff Apple's coming out now, or did you have to hack around that? Or um, well, I use what I do is I use the simulator in Xcode, um, and I've got you know I've got all of the I learned I learned that tool set because during the time that we were developing Birdhouse, I was the one that was doing the the builds the you know the the, the beta builds of this of of the software to deploy to our beta testers and everything like that. So there was a lot of learning going on um, to figure out Xcode because it's, oh my God, it's so unintuitive. Um, but that Xcode has a separate application in its, in its tool set called Simulator. And then I use a screen cap application called Snaps Pro. Sure. Um, f- that, uh, you know, basically just run the run the build of an app and I, and I always have to ask the client for a separate build for the simulator. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll send me the build. I'll install it in my simulator. I'll I'll run it, and you know, have to choreograph 
routines, basically UI routines. So click here, open this thing so that this screen shows, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, capture it all with Snaps Pro, which saves it out as a QuickTime file. Bring that into my compositing software, which is Shake. And then oftentimes if you have to replace stuff, then it's just a matter of motion tracking UI stuff from that QuickTime and, um, you know, replacing it with, you know, pictures of me or whoever's on camera. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's like, there's just, there are insane amount, insane amounts of customization that has to be done for any of this stuff. And I, I got to have a conversation with somebody who does it as part of the Apple motion graphics and film group, you know, the ones that put out the guided tour videos Yeah, and it's not any better for them. They have to customize everything and they have to glue things together and Frankenstein things. And, you know, oftentimes what you're seeing when you see an app demo on screen while somebody's holding it is just scotch taped together, um, hanging by a thread. Yeah. And, you know, if you, and if you look really, 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 really carefully, you can see that maybe there will be something that's just a little bit off or badly tracked or, whatever even in the even in the most viewed apple videos there there can be seams showing well it's just like you know when on the apple videos when you see the guy in his living room holding the ipad and they look over his shoulder he is holding that thing unhumanly stable it is right, not yeah. moving you know <laughs> yeah generally they rig that, that kind of stuff they rig it with a a c stand or something um so that you don't you're not getting that movement i don't like to do that cuz it looks too rigid i think yeah, um, my feeling is a guy could drop dead and it would still be sitting right there, and it but, probably would be. Yeah, absolutely. And um, tracking uh, tracking the four corners of an iPhone screen, say, is it, it? It can be a nightmare if some if your if your talent just like accidentally holds a thumb over one corner or something. So you're always having to on set. You're always having to look out out for that stuff. You no, know, can you just move your thumb over just a second because? That what you're doing right there is going to create an extra two hours of work for me later yeah. on, or two days. Yeah, Adam, why lonely sandwich? Um, that that was just there, there's been this thing pe- being passed around the the internet lately, um, where getting people to talk about what their first internet handles are, were on the you know on the internet when they first got on the you know BBS or whatever, or their first AOL or Prodigy nickname or something. Um, and you know, it's fun to hear everybody's origin story. Um, my, my, my one actually that on AOL that I would use to, uh, to talk to the state guys was chief broom, which was, um, from one flew over the cuckoo's nest, the, 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 the native, the big native guy. Um, my lonely sandwich comes from basically just the, the idea of, um, of somebody eating a sandwich by themselves. Uh, it has always been to me sort of an evocative image, um, you know, laden with, it could be, you know, laden with subtext or backstory, just the idea of somebody sitting by themselves, say on a park bench or something, eating a sandwich. I don't know why a sandwich. I don't know. And this was before Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah, this was, a be- <laughs> yeah, this was before Keanu. I was eating sandwiches by myself way before Keanu was. Well, Adam, right. you know, I want to thank you for coming on the show. It was great having you here to tell us about all of your workflows. It's uh, remarkable to me what you've created out of nothing, really. And 
uh, I just can't wait to see what you do in the future. And I wouldn't be surprised if we have you on again. And um, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, thanks for giving me the opportunity. I hope that's listenable and and uh, not completely the most boring thing that your listeners have ever heard. No, I think it's great the way you use the Apple technology from from the soup to the nuts, you know, <laughs> beginning to the end. Oh, I just forgot. I use Final Draft for screenwriting as well. Oh, do you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Adam, the score. Thanks, thank guys. You. All right, David. Well, it's been a lot of fun, but I think that's going to have to wrap up our our show for this week. Uh, We want to take a moment to thank all of our sponsors, Smile, 1Password, Objective Development's Launch Bar, and the Omni Group uh, for support of their show and for joining us over here on 5x5. Really thrilled to be with this great network of people. Yeah, and if you want to get a hold of us, just send an email to feedback at macpowerusers.com. It comes to both of us. Uh, on a normal show, when we're not doing workflows, we do follow up on feedback from prior shows, and we often get interesting comments from our listeners, and we like to share them with everyone on the subsequent shows. Right. You can find more information about everything we do, including links to everything we talked about in the show, and more information about the podcast, all of our past episodes, over at MacPowerUsers.com. So, Katie, now that we're on 5x5, five five, what are your favorite 5x5 five five shows? I, I really like the talk show. I like Back to Work. I like Critical Path. Uh, do you want me to sit here and name all the shows? I'm just interested in your favorites. I like a lot of them, but I'm afraid to play favorites. Okay. Well, I like all the ones you said. I also like Hypercritical. Oh, I do like Hypercritical, yeah. yes. The Lion stuff recently has been excellent. Yeah. It just seems like uh, 5 by 5 is the network for you know Mac enthusiasts, so I'm so pleased to be here. Once again, thanks to Dan Benjamin and everyone else at 5 by 5 for bringing us in. And thanks for everyone for sticking through this show. We look forward to hearing from you in the future and continuing the conversation. And David, what are we going to talk about next time? We're going to talk about mail. Uh, our very first show when we started the podcast many moons ago was an in-depth look at mail. Our first two shows were in-depth looks at mails. Yeah, we actually recorded it. It was, I think, three hours or something. We decided we'd just break it into two shows or people will hate us if we put it out as one. Uh, But it's been a long time, and there's a lot of things that have changed. I mean, the iPad didn't exist when we first recorded. And frankly, the iPhone uh, mail workflows really hadn't developed that much. So we're going to go through, you know, go back to mail on the Mac and cover in depth what has happened and the best workflows and plans for getting the most out of mail on your Mac and your iOS devices. It's going to be a good one. All right. I'll look forward to revisiting that issue with you again, David. See you then.